Okay, well, <laughs> uh, for some reason I'm always laughing at the beginning of this program, and it's very, I think it must be fucking annoying. Anyway, hello, welcome to episode 7 of Defen. Um, Ray McDermott in Belgium and Vijay Karan over in Holland. Hi Vijay, how are you doing? Hello Ray, I'm, going, I'm doing pretty good, and um, it's my birthday. No shit. Yes. Sorry to swear <laughs> at the beginning of the podcast, but fuck it, we're started now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's congratulations. So you've got you've, you. you've inked, have you? Yes, I have aged a bit. Yes, but that's pretty cool. Uh, anyway, uh, let's get on to the episode then. Uh, it's not about me. So we've been. Um, it's partly about I think you. We got. Sorry, it's partly about you. The fact, yeah, the it's fact all about that, us. The fact so. you had a birthday is awesome, mate. You know, you're still alive. <laughs> I think you should be happy about that. And I think all of, all of yeah. the, the listeners should just take a moment to celebrate your existence. Yes, that's true. And uh, yeah. But it's not really um, uh, a national holiday or anything. But I <laughs> not hope yet, one not day yet. it will be. Well, at least today it's, an, it's, it's a national holiday and the entire European <laughs> Union is celebrating Sunday. So, Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm very happy for that. You know. it's, a sacred, uh, it's a sacred so, day in my, in my week. <laughs> All yeah, right, episode so, yeah. seven <laughs> episode on the seventh. Oh yeah, yeah. Yes, so it's it's a magical day. Let's uh, get over with it. And and first of all, uh, I think last time we had some uh, snuff uh, some snafu in terms of recording the audio. So we apologize yeah. for that. And we, we figured out and we fixed the bug now. Yeah, we won't say whose fault it was. Yeah. But... We're not going to issue a very long root cause analysis here. You know, we're not going to be open about this. We just we've just fixed it. Try again. It's much better. Okay. So it should be way way better now. Yeah. And uh, just we'd like to give a quick update on the news and events. And um, there was a uh, new event, or there is a new event on sixth of October, uh, run by Juxt guys uh, who are very popular in the closure community. Uh, they built uh, Yada, I think, the web framework. And uh, they've contributed lots of uh, uh, libraries. And of course, John Peter, uh, he had amazing blogs while he was working at a bank and uh, working at a newspaper, I think, Daily Mail or something. So those guys are having an event on 6th of October. That's a full day event in near London. Um, So you guys should check it out. And uh, we'll probably put the links in the the doobly-doo or the show notes. And of course, there is a Euro closure coming up on uh, 25th and 26th of October. So I think a couple of days ago, the call for proposals is uh, over. So on 17th, they'll probably announce um, the whole uh, speaking lineup. So we are very excited. And of course, we'll be there as well. Uh, hopefully, we'll be recording some uh, um, interviews or something with the, with the speakers there. Um, fingers crossed. And uh, there is also closure exchange that's in December in London, run by Skills Matter. So all these things you can you can find on uh, on closure, uh, sorry on Defen Audio, with um, with our show notes. So let's get to the topic of the day. And uh, so a couple of weeks ago, I went to South Africa and I met one of the uh, prominent closure developers in the southern hemisphere, I would say. <laughs> and uh, uh, and it is uh, Robert, and Robert is the CTO of Cognition, Cognition, and he has been one of the I think uh, probably. Uh, the early adopters of most of the closure new technologies. So we'd like to give a big, great welcome to Robert. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. And happy birthday, Vijay. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, so Robert, uh, so we've been doing this uh, podcast for a long time now. 
<laughs> six whole times. In the, oh yeah. In, in yeah. the in the internet time times. scale and yeah. Uh, but f- first of all, I mean, we'd like to ask you a couple of questions, like uh, so, uh, a, a bit, of, a bit of um, understanding about your programming history. You know, where did you come from, and where did you, you know, when did you get into closure bandwagon, so to speak, and why? Sure. So, <clears throat> I started programming at the age of about thirteen or fourteen, when I discovered that programming was the thing you could do. I was very fortunate to have computers um, as a child. Um, I was very, very fortunate indeed. Um, and I pretty much started working directly after high school. I, I never really went to college or anything like that. I jumped straight into to, um, doing things in anger. Um, and that's pretty much 20 years ago um, now. Um, and yeah, I've basically been a career programmer ever since. Um, and in terms of closure, um, I discovered closure about four years ago, three, four years ago now. Um, I'm actually not entirely sure. It's been so long. It feels like it's been so long. Um, and um, I, I'll be honest, I can't imagine moving on from closure. Um, um, I'm just enjoying it so much, and it's just uh, it just works. Yeah, it just works for us. But so you're the CTO of this company, so obviously you have the more leeway in terms of deciding which technologies uh, to be used. And did you find any uh, resistance, or because this is one of the problems that keeps coming up in adopting new technologies at the companies? So. Indeed. So I was very fortunate when when um, closure actually um, entered my life. Um, it was at a very key point in our, our company history. We had just um, successfully built our version one using technologies I will not mention. And uh, <laughs> and uh, we, we were really just looking for something, um, you know, to take this to scale, to build this the right way, in quotes, um, rather than the, 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 the hardened, you know, the, 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 the dirty and fast way we had done it before. Um, and I had looked at lots of different technologies and the, the basically the tentative plan was, well, we'll just do it with Rails and we'll, and we'll use MongoDB as our database. Um, that shows you how long ago this was. Um, okay. And uh, discovered Clojure um, and found that it just ticked so many boxes so quickly um, that um, you know I was able to to build um, prototypes very quickly, get my head around um, the you know the, the the way to think about building these programs um, quickly, um, and it's been a, a pretty much a, a love affair ever since. Yeah. So you were saying MongoDB, and I heard on the internet that MongoDB is the Snapchat of the databases. <laughs> so it basically drops your data all the time. But uh, okay, let's not poke the Mongo guys <laughs> too much. <laughs> but um, so, how big is your closure team? Right or, now, we we're um, our full technical team is thirteen people. Um, but a couple of those people are more on the UX and design side and don't have to actually worry about programming so much. Um, so we've basically got 11, 11 people. Some some folks are still studying, and so they work for us part-time. Um, some of us are lifers. Um, so yeah, there's a good good 10 of us that are, are in the mix every day. And are you doing, are you doing the front-end and the back-end using the Clojure stack, or have you got different technologies on the front-end, Robert? We've got uh, Clojure all the way. So we're, we're basically living the dream. Um, Clojure script <laughs> on the front, uh, Eden and Transit over the wire, Clojure on the back-end, Datomic in the database. Wow. That's pretty cool. <laughs> so let, let, let's start with the, I, I know, you, you know, that the, uh, as we discussed in, when I was in South Africa with you, and um, so your entire stack is closure, and maybe the today's episode, we wanted to focus on Datomic, and we thought, um, you know, because you're one of the uh, prominent users of Datomic, or at least, um, well, prominent in terms of, you know, 
uh, adopting it from the beginning and you've been using it uh, for a long time already. Sure. So we thought um, you could share some ide ideas or, or how you're using Datomic. But before that, we, we'd like to see, let, let's see what, what is Datomic. I know Ray has been uh, into Datomic a bit as well, right, Ray? You've been trying out and... Yeah, I've looked at Datomic quite a bit. Um, looked at uh, the way that it, it, it we interface with it, the way that it works, where we in, we operate with it. But uh, but I haven't got a full business riding on it, so uh, <laughs> I can sp I'm dangerous to speak about it. But obviously, I would defer to Robert in terms of the uh, the actual hard facts around it. Um, but yeah. it's but it's very interesting to think about you know what given the fact that uh, Datomic is is at 0.12 or something now, or 0.9. Is I think it's been at 0.9, some long number for quite a long time. Um, so why did you decide to bet your business on it when things are still evolving quite rapidly? I noticed recently, for instance, that they've they've moved to a hard requirement for JDK8 for one of their latest releases. Um, in other words, they're they're still quite they're quite happy to 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 play with it. That's a strong word, but you know, it's it's not one zero yet. Yet they claim it to be production quality. Do you feel it's production quality as well? Do you are you happy with that that decision? Uh, absolutely. So uh, you know, to, to to kind of get, help you to understand why the decision was so easy for us. When we actually adopted Datomic, our, our tech team was only three people, and I was one of those three people. So I only had two other people to convince. Um, and it was actually interesting the, 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 the one of the other guys had literally just joined our company three or four months prior um, and had literally just learned Ruby on the job with us. He had come, come to us from the PHP and the Perl world of all places. Um, and Python is the other language he had. And so he had just learned Ruby and just built a whole system with Ruby. And then, you know, I discovered Clojure, fell in love with that. Um, and he had to kind of basically start all over again. Um, but in, in terms of uh, the problems we were solving and the way we wanted to solve it, um, we knew that we wanted that aggregate only, um, that append only model of, of you know, gathering data and working with our data. Um, you know, the, the kind of dealing with your data as an immutable record of, of fact rather than, you know, the, this update in place world um, as Rich Hickey describes it. Um, we wanted to use the event sourcing model for our data, uh, you know, for our primary interface because it supports um, the, the, the offline, um, the occasionally offline or the occasionally online uh, model of, of clients so well. Um, so there were, there were many um, kind of boxes that were ticked there. But in terms of um, choosing Datomic, um, basically, we, we were sitting with Clojure and ClojureScript um, as these awesome technologies. We were, you were jamming with them. We were building cool stuff. And then we had to put things into a database. And then it wasn't so cool anymore. Then we were dealing with ORMs or JDBC or um, you know MongoDB. We were we were having a laugh at some of the very early commits in our one of our oldest repos where we had, were noodling around with MongoDB, and it just felt like such a disconnect. You know, we've got this awesome immutable functional programming style for all of our stuff, and it's all great. But as soon as we actually you know record our state, we're putting it into this 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 crazy box, um, and then Datomic got released. And we found out it was by the same guys who built Clojure, you know, and, and Clojure Script. Um, and we tried it out and it did exactly what it said on the tin. Um, you know, were there bugs? Of course, it's, uh, there was with any software, there are bugs. Um, but it, it fit our minds. It fit our model um, and it immediately solved problems for us from day one. And it's, and it's continued to solve those problems for us um, ever since. 
Yeah, I think let's let's get a bit more detail into into how you're using uh, uh, Datomic. Uh, maybe maybe after a couple of minutes. So that what what is it that that the so I I saw uh, the videos by Richie explaining you know why Datomic uh, is different than the other databases. So fundamentally, having the built-in uh, the time concept is built into the database, so you can query at any point. And also, the architecturally, it's really the separation of concerns, so to speak. You know, writing part is independently scalable versus uh, reading part. Well, so, can you give us some idea about? Because obviously, Datomic is a closed source database, so it's it's very difficult to poke into and then uh, um, get a, get an understanding of it. So it's primarily from the do documentation, at least for me. So I didn't use it in production. So can can you give us some idea about? Uh, the the architecture of the of the datomic and how it differs from the other databases. So so as with other databases, um, like MySQL and Postgres and the others, there is still a separate process that you connect to. You know, a TCP connection to a separate process, and and what's inside that process is essentially a black box. Um, you know, you it's got a very clearly defined API, and you know what it's going to be doing when you give it instructions, but it's still essentially a closed box. Um, where it differs, though, um, is in how it splits, splits out read, reads, writes, and storage. Um, that black box that I mentioned, the transactor, the only thing it's actually doing is handling writes. Um, storage is out in you know, one of several storage engines, um, one that's built into the transactor if you're using it on your laptop, or um, you know, it, all the way to very big um, scalable databases like DynamoDB. Um, and I think the key thing about um, the, the, the architecture is how reads uh, happen. Um, and those reads actually are processed inside your own app process. Um, and, you know, we could spend two hours just talking about why that's awesome and, and what, what that does for your architecture. But suffice to say, it, it basically, by designing it that way, and the fact that the database is immutable, um, um, it gives you uh, many uh, affordances for how to think about, um, you know, storing uh, long-term state. Um, and how your how your programs work with that data? Yeah. So so the data is essentially stored in the indexes, right? I mean that that's what I understood from the from the uh, documentation so far. So because in the in the traditional databases you have the data stored in some binary format, and then you create indexes, and indexes are separate from the database. Uh, well, the the original data you know, that's separated out. So, but in Datamic, the the data is basically the index. So every time it is written into four different indexes, right? Yeah, so 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 it's actually five places. So there's the transaction log, oh. which is 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 the place that's kind of our source of truth. So you could lose everything else and keep the transaction log, and you could rebuild everything from there. Um, but in terms of the the query model, where reads actually occur, um, it comes from what are called these covering indexes, where all of the data are actually directly in the indexes, rather than the, than the indexes having references to somewhere else. Um, and as you yeah. say, there are there are four of them. Although not all data is in all four indexes, I think only two of them are completely uh, mandatory. Yeah, yeah. And and for the querying part of it, uh, so there is data log. Um, I, I know a bit of it, you know, from the history. Um, so how how different it is compared to SQL based interfaces to, to query the data, for example. So it, I mean, the the, the query, uh, you know, so it's it, it's very easy to think that you know the, um, the the read side of Datomic is just all about data log, but that's actually not true. Data log is only really there to ask more complex questions, questions that involve many relationships. Very very often, all you're doing is getting a reference to one entity in the database, and then you know reading out some of its attributes. And you don't need data log for that. Um, similarly, you may just be getting a, a flat list of of 
all of the entities that have a given attribute and you don't need that you know you don't need data log mm. for that either it really feels like you're working with this infinitely big um uh, uh list of datums in your local memory um and there's a whole bunch of different apis for dealing with that but it, it you know the, the programming model it, it really feels like you're just dealing with local data rather than some big separate thing out, out there I remember some time ago, probably it was Stuart Holloway's video or something, saying that uh, the data log can work on any type of data. It's not necessarily linked to Datomic. And he's one of the um, uh, one of the things that he pointed out that if you see the query, the last part is the DB, and then you can add multiple other data sources to it. So you can actually query from multiple places and mash the data together. So how 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 real is it? I mean, do, do you think uh, did did you use that kind of stuff in in your or do you use that in your uh... Applications? Uh, we use it and we use it in anger. So when we okay. first put, put our system together, we used two databases. We've since transitioned to using a single database. Um, but for a long, long time, for a good year and a half, um, there were queries across multiple databases in a single data log query. Um, we have done things like query against a history database and the now database in a single database query. Um, and then the, the kind of the, um, the, the speculative queries where you create a new database um, that uses a transaction that you haven't committed yet, and you do queries against that and your actual database. Um, and you know, yeah. So they, 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 they. Basically, it's, it is, it is, it does what it says on the turn. It is completely separate from storage. Um, you can, you know, you can just give it um, the correctly shaped data and, and ask that data questions directly. So, Robert, I think uh, you mentioned the history and the current database. Are you referring to the same things there? Yes, yeah, so, the, so the history database um, is essentially a, a different view over the same data. Well, normally, when you take a datomic database, you're looking at what was true as of a certain point in time. Um, so you only look at the things that have been asserted, added to the database up until that point in time. Whereas if you take a history database, you're saying, give me all of the assertions and all of the retractions. I want to see the history of this entity show me not only when things were added, but also when things were removed. Um, and so you can, you can do things like build up a, an activity stream, say, for an entity, and actually list out all of the, the metadata for each of the things that happened going back in time. So the two databases are aliases for the same data store. Yeah, it's, it's essentially like a SQL view. You, yep. you, you're basically building a view over um, an index, and the, ind the index is just arranged differently in the, the, the history database, in that you also get all of the, the retractions. Yeah, okay, so there aren't two separate databases with Foo being the current view, uh, the current database, and Bar being the history database. In fact, they're just two views, view, uh, views of the same datomic database, the physical database of datomic. Exactly. So, so I, I think there, there's maybe some clarification of terms that we can do there. Um, you know, once you get mm. used to using Datomic, it's, it feels natural to talk about the database, which is the thing that is referenced by the URI, which is the whole thing. And then a database where you take a, a reference to a particular point in time and you query against that database as a value. So if you want to think about the big all-encompassing thing, you can think of that as the fact store. That's where everything is, the storage. Um, and there are multiple views into that storage, one of which includes retractions, which is also known as the history database. So, Robert, as far as schema is concerned, what do you do with that kind of stuff? Because obviously in Datomic, you have to declare 
the schema um, at the beginning of your database life. Um, you have to define what the types of the data are. And you know, compared to Mongo and other kind of schemaless databases, that seems to be more of a barrier to entry. Um, obviously, you have to evolve things as you add data, as you add columns and things like that. Maybe it's a Maybe the attribute changes. How have you find those aspects um, of the datomic schema? So um, some of those things are, are you're, you're right. Um, some of those things are, are actually uh, better to deal with now. So when we first adopted datomic, once you made a, a, a schema attribute and gave it all of its values, you know, its controlling values, that's it. You cannot change it. It's going to stay that way for the rest of time. Um, a release of Datomic, I think, middle of last year somewhere, they, they, they started supporting schema alteration um, where you can actually start to alter certain facets of, of schema. Um, they, they did not allow you to change absolutely anything, but they did give you an escape hatch, which is to be able to rename schema. Um, and so the absolute worst case, which would introduce a lot of transactor um, overhead, um, is that you can basically make a new schema attribute that does the things the way you need to um, and transact all of the values over from the old one. But of course, the disadvantage to doing that is that you lose all of that historical, um, all of the historical transaction um, relationships that, that exist. Um, in, in terms of actually modeling data, um, you know, as compared to Mongo, where you can just basically put anything, any, any valid JSON into your database, um, Datomic schema is actually super flexible. Um, in the sense that al although it insists that you, you, when you name something, that you give that named thing a type and a cardinality, which is to say that a, you know, an entity has only one of this or it has you know, many of this, um, you, it doesn't impose any restrictions on how you compose um, attributes together. So you can have an entity with one attribute, user email. You can have another entity which has the user email attribute, a user full name attribute, a user password attribute. So in that way, it kind of takes the best of the schemaless approach, which is to say arbitrary composition of, of attributes, but it has the best of the, um, the kind of the typed approach, which is to say, once we have a value to talk about, it's going to follow some very strict rules. Um, and in that way, you essentially get kind of rectangular databases where if you want every, every entity to have exactly all of the same attributes, that gives you a rectangular SQL-like um, uh, experience. But then you can also have a graph-like database where you basically got the Wild West. You know, you can connect mm. anything to anything else. And we are kind of, you know, in one foot in both, in <laughs> both pools. Yeah. Um, we, we have um, large collections of entities which are identically shaped. And then we have large collections of entities which share no shape with anything else in the database. Um, and we use, you know, both of them interchangeably. And, and it's, it's not a concern. Uh, is it okay if we ask you what is the size of your uh, datomic cluster? Is it um, se yeah, sure. trade secret or <laughs> okay? <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, so, in terms so, of our, uh, you, do, do you mean in terms of our hardware? Yeah, like uh, how many? I, I know you're hosted on AWS, right? Amazon That's right. services. Yeah. So, how many uh, transactors? Transactors, obviously one probably, and then how many peers do you have, and how, sure. how is it deployed? So we, we have, so in, in um, the Datomic world, you can only have one active transactor. So it only makes sense to have one standby transactor. And we certainly have both of those. Um, and those are on C4 larges, I think, two core, four gig RAM machines. Um, then we use DynamoDB as our, as our um, storage. 
Um, mm -hmm. And we've we had to spend quite a bit of time tweaking the read and write provisioning for that. Um, because for the most part, when putting things into Datomic, it's lots of small transactions, which uses a very low write um, throughput. But every now and then, it has to do an indexing job. And indexing jobs are very short periods of big write, you know. Um, so we had to um, do a bit of um, head scratching there, but we got it right. Um, and then in terms of the number of connected peers, so we are currently on uh, 12 peers. And I think we have one spare. Um, and, and, you know, the, the transactor itself you, consumes one of those licenses. And so we basically have 10 connected uh, peers doing, doing various things. In the traditional database world, I think there are a couple of things that come up every now and then, like the tooling that you can use to manage the database or query the database. And the other one is that um, whenever you, you put in a database, then people will ask, okay, how about full text search? So there are add-ons or, you know, there is uh, probably Lucene or something that you're going to use. Yeah. So, of course, this is a two-part question. So one thing is about the tooling, like what kind of tools that, that you use. Uh, and, and the second one is like, do you use any additional indexing things uh, apart from it? for searching so, and these things. So the best possible tool you can use with Datomic is a closure REPL, by far. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah. Because it's got the full API, uh, it's got the full benefit of all of the existing source code you've written around your database, um, yeah. which is really where the rubber meets the road. You know, you, you, you can't yeah. reason about a Datomic database without also reasoning about the problem it's trying to solve. Um, you know, and so you you, you got to have that stuff on hand as well. Um, I we, think we, uh, two, three, two, three years ago, when there was a closure club thing, I actually built some sort of a small web app to explore Datomic uh, database. That was with the first version of Ohm, and yes, yeah, I, I find forty-eight hours of uh, fun time. Yes, so no, it's it's, a, it's almost like a bit out. of a rite of passage to to build one of those. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's great fun. Yeah. Um, so yeah. in in terms of tooling, so we actually do something interesting. Our, our database, given that it's been running since um, I think 2012, I want to say January 2012 or January 2013, one of those two. Um, I'll, I'll I'll make sure um, and let you know. Um, we've got yeah. a lot of data in our database now, um, and our full database mm -hmm. backup when we when we do a backup and have you know give it a test is a good 14 to 16 gigabytes. Um, and that's, of course, okay. because it's storing all of the, the past, all 39-odd million transactions. Um, and so yep. you can imagine that's quite unwieldy to work with if you need to, for example, restore a database to your local machine to do some debugging or, or some analysis or so on. Um, and so we've actually written some pretty fun um, uh, closure code that exports select pieces of our Datomic database, what we call kind of the control data set. Um, yep. and, and produces a transit file or a, a file that's encoded in transit. Um, and then we've got code, obviously, that will we'll, we'll suck that in and create a new database out of that. Um, that was a hell of a lot of fun to write as well, using mm. uh, closure transducers. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, and cool. that, the, and uh, that, that helps our dev team out quite a bit because then they're, you know, they're working with a kind of a 60 or 70 meg file. Um, and they're basically able to use all of our, our systems um, with that small smaller database. Okay. So I was asking the second part was about the indexing and uh, do you have any additional component that, that uh, does the full text search or? So we, we don't like actually that? use full text search. We don't need it in, in our world um, because a, a large part of what Cognition actually does for its customers is to make discovery of learning content mm -hmm. easy. Um, and when you're teaching people who know nothing about your content, um, the very last thing they're actually going to be able to use effectively is a search tool. Because they don't know any yeah. of your, your phrases, they don't know any of your of your language, 
Um, and so we're actually producing um, experiences which gradually introduce users to content via other means other than search. So we've never actually had cause to switch on the full text indexing that's built into Datomic. Um, okay. So we have these peers and so Datomic introduces this new taxonomy, right? There are peers and there is transactors and stuff. And one of the things that people uh, talk about, like peers are basically one per application so that uh, the read part is is essentially scaling independently because every, every app instance or something gets the data and you can query it. So it caches it locally. So yeah. the f first time when people hear it, they're like, Oh fuck no! I mean, is it going to load the entire database into the memory? <laughs> so, so how 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 does that 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 work in your opinion? I mean, is, is it is it really that scalable? And did you find any problems there? Or so um, it, essentially, uh, no, we've found no problems with it at all. Um, it actually uh, saved us a hell of a lot of effort as an engineering team. You know, they say there's that old joke about um, the two hard problems in computer science being naming things and cache invalidation. <laughs> Well, Datomic yeah. completely solved cache invalidation for us. We don't actually have any kind of view caching code in our infrastructure at all. We've managed yeah. to write view rendering code that is fast enough given you know locally cached source data. Um, in, in terms of, of using up your memory, um, it, it will certainly use up a lot of memory if, you're, if the, the web server um, that you're using is, is, is uh, querying a broad spectrum of your database. But remember... Yeah. Um, a lot of what's in your database is in the past and has, depending on your domain, of course, um, is no longer in the now database. So you'll actually find that what's what's true now is much smaller than your grand you know, total database. And, and very often that's the only bit that actually needs to fit into memory. But because Datomic is a pool-based system, it'll only cache what it actually needs. Um, and it uses the least recently used cache, which means that it'll throw away the stuff it's no longer needing. Um, the, the, one of the big advantages to buying Datomic Pro is the ability to connect memcached as a second tier cache. And essentially for free in our world, our, our system is actually served out of our memcached cluster just because of the nature of the way that Datomic is architected. And, and DynamoDB is more like a near line backup for our storage than it is an actual mm. read storage for our system. Um, so we, we, you know, we deploy continuously. We're rebooting our web peers all the time. Um, and uh, memcache just basically steps in to take up, you know, to 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 warm those caches of those web servers back up. Um, yeah, so okay. it, it's it's a beautiful architecture. It works works really really well. And and the transactor is essentially like a single threaded thing, right? I mean, it it, it takes the uh, request to write to the database and then it executes them in one one by one. Uh, that, that's right. That's what my understanding is. Okay, but did you find any any issues there? Well, it's, it's not it's it's logically. not single threaded. Um, it's definitely a multi-threaded system, but there is only one thread actually performing writes. You know, there's all sorts of crazy pipelining stuff to prepare transactions before transaction time. And there's all sorts of crazy threading happening after transaction time, but it's all going through this very kind of eye of the needle bit in the middle. Um, and in mm. fact, I'm, I'm, I can't remember if, if this came from an official source or not, but I'm pretty sure every transaction happens inside a swap bang on an atom. Yeah, yeah, you know, probably. It's, it's, there's one control atom for our 14 gigabyte database um, that holds all the roots, um, and that's what's in that one thread. It's that swap bang. So uh, yeah, so, so it is multi-threaded for sure, but but there's only one writer at a time. And didn't Stuart Holloway once say that there is only one atom in Datomic? Yeah, yeah. 
that's the one it's a pretty important atom <laughs> especially for us it's atomically special yes and i think i, I remember reading somewhere uh, stuart holloway said that datomic is like isolation level 9000 or something because there are no locks there are no latches there is nothing of that sort so i think that that's probably one of the interesting things that i read about datomic and and so the back end uh, obviously datomic uh, when richiki introduced it i think he was saying this is uh, it came with dynamodb as the first uh, back end and then there is other back end support slowly being introduced right uh, so yeah so so when we um first grabbed it so we actually used postgres as a back end for a good year and a half before we switched to a oh. kind of our second generation aws cluster um, and that was great. I mean, that was that's totally um, that was totally fine. We, we we weren't really at any kind of scale at that point. Um, and now that we are, you know, supporting more users, concurrent users, um, the DynamoDB is definitely um, paying its paying its dues. Um, okay. But in, in terms of other places that you can connect to, um, there's React, there's Couchbase, there's Cassandra. Um, those seem to be kind of the major um, ones that seem to be well known. There's generic SQL, so you can actually connect to any SQL database. Um, it would yep. be pretty interesting to see what happens if you try to connect to a, um, what's that simple uh, command line SQL? The, the really, uh, really small one? A SQLite. That's the one. It'd be fun to see what happens yeah. there. Uh, yeah. um, and then, yeah. of course, the, the transactor um, process has, has got uh, Java's H2 uh, built into it as well, so that if you're just you know on your local machine, um, yeah, that's the dev database, right? Yeah, the dev or the free storage. Yeah. Dev mode. Yeah, yeah. But did, did you find, uh, so do you think that is there any uh, difference between these storage engines? I mean, using different storage engines, it, it shouldn't be that much different, right? Because you have an abstraction on top of it. So you really don't care what what is in, in, in the back end. Well, uh, l let me talk you through how easy it was to transition from Postgres to DynamoDB. <laughs> okay. um, basically, um, on the day when we had done all of our homework and our preparations and our dry runs, um, we essentially took our web, our, our load balancers down, put up our uh, you know um, polite status message saying we'll be back, took a, a database backup using the the Datomic level backup tool, um, and then restored that very same backup um, from the you know that that was taken on the old transactor into the new transactor running on the different storage. Um, and once the restore was finished, we, you know, switched over the DNS to the new um, load balancers, and we were back online. Um, so okay. essentially, if you use the Datomic backup and restore tools, it is storage yeah. agnostic, and you're able to switch, switch, you know, from storage to storage. Um, if you get into incredibly high performance um, situations, then obviously you are going to start to encounter storage-specific concerns. But we haven't gotten there yet, so um, we, we've still got to have mm. that 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 interesting time. Yeah, I guess, I guess they support multiple backends because different organizations are comfortable or more comfortable or less comfortable with on-premise, on-cloud, and various yes. setups. So it's what, to some extent, they want to try and be helpful to their organizations, don't they, to enable people to deploy operational systems that they're familiar with and can tune and, and all and, of those and likely already have running exactly yeah well that's that's one of the reasons why they're comfortable with them i guess <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly it's yeah. true and and you've been interacting with the datomic guys a lot i mean how did you find the support and everything because this is one of the biggest uh, uh strangest things for me because of course i'm not completely like uh, uh um you know um 
Stallman level open source guy, but you know, I, I use what is convenient. But I yes. prefer having some sort of an open source stuff. And um, the only support, uh, well, if you're not paying, then then only support that you have is through the mailing list. And I've been subscribed to the mailing. I see Bob and other Bobby or something, and some other people being very active on the on the mailing list. But how 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 was your experience interacting with Cognitect, and while you're deploying it, and how how was their support? Yeah, so we 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 officially bought our our pro license basically two days before we actually switched everything on um, for for production oh. use, uh, and then up until that point, you know, we were essentially um, you know in the Google group with everyone else, um, but. Because, uh, you know, we had an open conversation with the Cognitech folks about it and what, what our plans were, you know, we, 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 um, they very kindly, um, you know, reviewed how we were going to put things together before we actually officially bought our license. Um, hmm. we, we found that the support was good. And then once we actually paid for a license and we were now kind of had official email support, um, yeah. you know, we, we leaned on it and we leaned on it a lot. Um, and the support was excellent. Um, mostly mm. because at the time that we were doing this stuff, it was when Datomic had first come out. Um, and I'm sure that that team was hungry for that feedback. Um, you know, okay. we were one of the very first people to, 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 to pay for it and to put it into production use kind of right away. Um, you know, a couple yeah. months after, um, uh, you know, we went live in January after the August, it, it, it became available. So pretty quick. Um, in you know in, in in that kind of world, um, and, and you know we 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 had great responses. We had Rich himself helped us with a couple yeah. of things. We had Stuart Halloway helping us out, um, or, you know, for for the most part in the early days until they hired some folks in. Um, really, really great support. And I think that's because you know even though Datomic is closed source, the people mm. who main build and maintain it use open source all the time. I mean, they maintain the closure language itself. You know, so they know what the deal is, but you know they've got to eat as well. I think mm. the rich kind of summarized it as, "I've got a kid in college." You know, um, it costs money; um, <laughs> he needs to make some money yeah. somehow. Yeah. Um, and so they they totally get yeah. that that Datomic is closed source and that is painful for some people. And so they they they're aware that you know if you do buy in, that you those people have got to be well supported, um, and that we yeah. we absolutely are. Um, I've had no complaints yeah. with their support at all. Yeah. Of course, it's it's not about the obviously. I mean, every business has their own way of um, you know doing their own business. You know, that's the whole idea of uh, starting up. And um, uh, the, the, there are some other databases which did take these these kind of ideas. Like there is WorldDB. There is a very specific division between the transactor idea and then having this one. And I remember there was a paper some time ago. I'll probably add. Uh, we'll add the link in the in the show notes uh, that was comparing like what exactly are the databases were doing. Now, when you're scaling up, so most of the time it was a parallelization of the queries and this kind of stuff and transactions, especially because you, you keep reading in the transaction and writing it again, and they need to figure out what is the best way to utilize it. And there have been other other uh, efforts to make these kind of things. But in, in I don't think there has been enough push uh, from the community to 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 get these ideas into the other databases. And if you see, for example, Postgres, and Postgres has been like solid database for years and years, and it took this whole MongoDB mayhem, you know, in, in the market, to push them to look into. Okay, we need to add the JSON support uh, because yeah. look at it. If I if I want to run, if one of the magical things with with MongoDB, I mean, of course, it's uh, we we can all uh, poke uh, holes into the the way it is architected, but the 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 uh, developer effort to start 
to work with MongoDB is is I mean just like half an hour or something. I just install MongoDB and I have everything. Yeah. Um, brew install or or something. And with Postgres, okay, I install it and I have a bazillion commands to manage all all this stuff. Then there is a create DB and it creates a user and all sorts of stuff. Uh, so that that kind of friction that that you know uh, in the developer experience or in the way the data is stored in the way the the use cases those are the things need to push for the open source stuff but yeah and, and i i don't see other databases getting this time concept um, but do you think this is uh, very specific to some domains or or the the concept of how datamic looks at the data um, so you're speaking uh -oh. about the the, the time um, that this yeah, notion, exactly. the strong notion of time. So um, um, I, I I'll be perfectly honest. I haven't worked in many domains, so I don't know that I could specifically speak about other domains. But I have had conversations like this with people from those domains, and specifically yeah. when I've spoken to anybody who needs to keep track of what happened in the past, um, you know, ad tech, fi financial tech. Um, any kind of basically business that needs to keep track of what the hell happened. Um, I, yeah. I get lots of nodding heads and, and you know, um, you know hands to foreheads like, oh, my God, why am I not using <laughs> this? Why am I not thinking this way? Um, I, it's very rare that I come across somebody who says, oh, no, we don't need that. Um, or if I had that, I wouldn't use it at all. It, does, you know, it, it doesn't, doesn't seem like it would help us with anything at all. Um, yeah. You know, talking about the now query, you know, crafting that query such that you're always talking about a consistent view of the database. I mean, that's that's just pure gold as a programmer. Not having to worry about that problem ever again is is worth money, and and that's why we pay it. Uh, I, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> yes, yes, of course. <laughs> there is, that's actually a related um, database standard to do with time. Um, SQL two thousand eleven included the notion of time into the SQL standard, the ANSI SQL standard. Interesting. Um, and actually, when I was doing some research on this, um, I noticed that, bizarrely, DB2, the granddaddy of databases, <laughs> actually was the first one to adopt this uh, notion of temporal time uh, into its databases. So, so in theory, at least, I mean, to be honest, I haven't worked with it. We have DB2 um, uh, at, at work, and, and now in, in theory, on mainframes and on Linux and on Windows via DB2, you can yeah. access this notion of temporal uh, temporal data management. Um, I don't know how it compares uh, well enough to to, to Datomic, but but the concept is is well understood, I think, in the database community because, of course, everyone knows that. Querying what happened yesterday is a nightmare in current databases. So, so actually, they're doing that. They're adopting that in the mainstream, and that might put a bit of pressure on the Datomic guys to to bring a bit more to the table. Well, I, you know, if you think about it, um, if you think about the grand mission that that I think Rich has, and again, I, I may be putting words in his mouth here, but I think he's he's trying to solve programming. He's not trying to. It's it's not just about getting um, you know a locked in um, subscriber base or, or purchasing base. I think he would be very very happy if more databases took a strong notion of temporal time. Um, you know he, he might have opinions about about how they 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 execute on the details. Um, I'm almost certain he would. But um, you know I don't think that they would um, uh, be at all up, upset by it. I think it's it's something that we sorely need to see more of. Um, is to is to deal with the, you know um, uh, records as facts as rather than you know this 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 p 
place that you can erase at will. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you know the original wiki, the C two uh, wiki. If you see, uh, they, they, uh, there has been a lot of discussion about what exactly a database, and then they say database is essentially a storage of facts. And then uh, there is always uh, this relational algebra on top of it, and everything is uh, is just a statement saying clarifying at this point in time. This is the things. And yeah, and late, I think the whole uh, probably uh, I think Rich explained it better when he was introducing Datomic. Like there is this place, and then you keep updating the stuff in the same place, and that that was useful back in the days when space was expensive, exactly. and now space is so cheap that you can just keep keep adding more space and then keep adding the facts and and uh, delete them when whenever you don't need them. Speaking of deletion, I think excision or something that that wasn't part excision. of the initial version of the database, right? Excision. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I love that word. Um, <laughs> there's a, there's a really good uh, um, Ian uh, Banks novel um, called Excision, I think, or Accession. Anyway. Oh. So so okay. so yes. Yeah, so, so they actually added um, this ex- excision capability to Datomic um, to satisfy the Europeans. Um, so I'm yeah. not sure. I can't remember what the name of the law is, but basically in Europe. If you're going to run, um, um, you know, a, a system that uh, stores user data, you better be able to prove that if that ask, that user says "let me out," that you've deleted everything you know about him. And of course, Datomic being an immutable database, um, kind of, yeah. you know, it says, "Well, we're not we're not going to let go of anything ever," um, and that's a problem <laughs> yeah. for Europeans, right? Um, so they had to yeah. add excision. But even then, if you look at how how they tackled it, um, I think they tackled it in a really nice way. You can you can you can mm. remove data. But you cannot remove the fact that the data was there at some point. You have to you mm-hmm. have to be able to reason about that entity somehow, even if you've left all of the details about that entity behind. Okay, yeah, I mean this is the whole right to forget thing that we fight for. So, mm. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so Ray, you have a, <laughs> a question or something? Yeah, yeah. It was just an additional point there because uh, I don't think it's for Europeans only. Hopefully. Um, of course, yeah. But uh, yeah, <laughs> we, we're just leading the way in the, the Europe, in Europe. Um, but yeah, the the whole notion of uh, of of how do you get rid of data is fascinating. Especially that I think one of the powerful points about this whole historical data stuff from from the atomic side is the ability to audit things. So is that mm-hmm. something which you've benefited from in your work in terms of? being able to show the business this thing changed at that point in time and we can see a kind of the history of this of this client or a history of this this data um, set through time. Is that something which you've benefited from? Tremendously. So one of the things that um, you can do, and it's almost one of the things I recommend it, any, you know, as soon as you're planning to put Datomic into, into production, is you can annotate transactions as they get written. So uh, what we've done is whenever a transaction happens in the context of a web session and that session has a logged in user, we actually link the transaction to the user in the database and say this transaction was created by this user. Um, And obviously most of the the things that happen in our database happen through our website. And as a result, most of our transactions are so annotated. So when somebody's account gets deleted, and I'm using air quotes here because we can't really delete mm-hmm. them in our de- in our world, or you know some critical configuration changes that takes a client's implementation offline, it is a matter of minutes to go and find out who did it, um, and then uh, you know it's a very short conversation thereafter to figure out what happened and why. <laughs> Whereas you know in a SQL database, unless we had specifically gone in and added an entire layer 
of you know tables and schema yeah, auditing and, or, and, yeah, and whatnot yeah. on top we would just we would be host we wouldn't just we just wouldn't know um and we've definitely taken advantage of that in the past um you know it's silly things frivolous things like users um claiming that they've reset their password four times and they can't log in and then we go and have a look mm. and they've reset it once we say well we only see one reset please try again <laughs> oh okay i'll try it again you know things like that but also just retrieving data you, people using content management systems think oh damn it i deleted that thing you know i accidentally cleared and then hit save well don't worry you know we'll just go back and get it for you so it's definitely mm. helped us tremendously yeah infinite yeah. undo you've got undo <laughs> that, that's awesome isn't it i mean that really, that is a superpower isn't it the undo it's undo in our entire production yeah. system. Yeah, I mean, they talk about it. I mean, David <laughs> Nolan talks about undo on the front end. And actually, that's not such a big deal, really. But what you're no. talking about now is at the back end where you can properly undo things really properly. That's awesome. It is. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the other thing is, uh, I guess you get kind of uh, with, with that kind of journaling and annotations, you get a kind of logging system built into your database as well. That's really useful. Yeah. And in, in fact, you know, we, we use Onyx, which I'm not sure how many people would be familiar with that. And that's a whole discussion all, all on its own. Um, but it's essentially, a, a, you know, an event stream processing system. Um, and so, you know, Onyx annotates all of the transactions it causes as well. So if mm -hmm. we ever wanted to understand a stat change or, a, a, you know, some sort of a calculation that went off, um, it's pretty easy to track down, you know, that, that that it was actually one of our systems that caused the problem rather than one of our users. Yeah. That's okay. Nice. What, one, one, maybe just move the move your topic on a little bit. We're we're just uh, coming up here. Is the uh, is the tooling around Atomic? Um, how do you find that, at, uh, Robert? I mean, I know you've talked about the REPL, um, mm -hmm. but what about some some other stuff about like, for instance. I played a little bit a, a while ago with um, some of the, the functions in the database, the stored procedures, um, and we're kind of told, we've been told over the last 10, 15 years that stored procedures in databases are a bad thing, you know, that they're architecturally horrible. Um, and the reason for that usually is because they're in some arcane language and um, they've got crap debug support, etc. blah, 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 all the kind of, who is that guy, the... Um, the the flaming guy oh my god the guy on the internet who who said that stored, the guy on the I internet I know exactly stored, who I'm, you're talking about I'm pretty sure there is a guy on the internet yes let's let's disprove oh, the guy man, on the yeah. internet you know who I mean yeah, the yeah guy, of course. Uh, the, guy. the guy who does the uh, he made a made a big blog about how, how bad stored procedures. Jeff Jeff Atwood, Jeff Atwood, that guy. There, yeah, 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 okay. there yeah. you know, you knew him. Yep. Coding horror. You knew it was, you knew it was yep. Jeff Coding horror. That's right. Yeah, the flare, the hair on fire guy. Um, he made a thing <laughs> about the, uh, the 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 stored procedures being bad, etc. And and I've used those arguments to to try and kill stored procedures in many projects. You know, uh, so. I was just wondering whether you've actually used stored procedures because I, I found even the, the atomic stored procedures, although they used closure, which is really great, were still lacking a little bit in terms of tooling and you know didn't quite answer all of those questions about how do we how do we use stored procedures in a great way. So I guess I guess the question we have to ask, and it's one I use all the time as a kind of a technical leader in our company, is what problem are we trying to solve? And if we're trying to find a convenient place to put code that we're going to use over and over with our database, um, then we've already got a great answer for that. And that's with the rest of our application code. 
in the system that we already all understand, and that's Git, you know, Git and GitHub and and you know, built-in and versioned software. Um, if the problem is um, solving a, con a transactional consistency issue, for example, making sure that this particular thing is created once and only once, then the right tool for the job is a function that's installed in the transactor. Um, uh, you know, and the 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 the, the canonical the, the hello world example there is you know the bank transfer, moving money from from account one to account two. You want to make damn sure that both happen at the same time or not at all, um, and that's really where I see that that you know that that tool becoming valuable. We've only ever used database you know transactor functions as they're called, which is the one that does the transaction uh, you know the, that kicks out the transaction if it fails for some reason. We've never used normal database functions, which are the ones that you can just install in your database and call arbitrarily. Because again, you know we've already solved this problem um, for all of the rest of our code. It it, it maybe may help to clarify why that is. The only database we use is Datomic. Um, you know the only language we use is Clojure. So if we talk about a database at all at any point in any of our systems, it's going to be about Datomic anyway. So if we decided to use database functions, we would kind of, and we wanted to do so consistently, we would end up with a lot of code in the database. And that would lead to you know, the problems you were alluding to with stored procedures, which is it's hard to reason about um, that scale of code organized in that fashion, I think, anyway. I've never tried. Mm. Um, you know, Git, Git is wonderful. Git, GitHub is wonderful. Why throw it, all of that away? Yeah. Well, you don't get all of the other things, do you? You don't get all of the tooling either, all of the, the debugging and all those kind of things. Well, you, you, you can, you know, because it's just a normal closure function, you can, you know, you know, you can just run it in your closure REPL and do all the usual things you can do to functions in your REPL. Um, you know, it, it is running in the same runtime, which is to say closure in the Java virtual machine. So I would argue that you do have all of the typical tooling you would have. When it actually gets run against your production data, maybe not. But in terms of testing the function, I'd, you know, I think you're okay. Okay. So there are there are different editions in the in the Datomic thing, right? So I think one of the problems that I I was wondering whether it is really a problem or not, like scaling it up and and um, ending up paying or maybe ending up having to pay too too much money. Uh, so how how does the peer scale and and if you keep scaling it up you know what what kind of additions that that you think or what kind of uh, pricing structure w would make more sense um so this is actually a really fascinating question to ask because we're actually grappling with these problems at the moment um basically one of the real disadvantages to datomic's pricing model is the fact that you pay per connected peer or per connected process essentially and that is mm -hmm. that. If you think about it, is really qu quite at odds with the 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 datum sorry the the Amazon Web Services scaling model, which is to add machines, right? Um, so so if you wanted to scale a, a service automatically with Datomic, you better have a lot of spare peers, you know, provisioned and waiting for for, for waiting to be used in your scaling group. Um, and if you don't, then you have to start to do other things. Um, so basically, what we're looking at right now, um, and you know, Amazon makes it easy because their pricing makes this makes this easy. You know, two machines cost the same as one machine that's double as double the size, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah. they've kind of taken that that concern off the table. But essentially, we're looking at, um, and we're in the kind of the performance and load testing space now, um, looking at what kind of performance we get out of more machines versus bigger machines. 
Um, and given that we're doing, you know, we're dealing with Java and we're dealing with threaded threaded processes, I think we're going to be okay with bigger machines. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, it, it is a concern. You know, if you, if you wanted to, for example, scale to thousands of nodes, um, you know, good luck doing that with the, the atomic. You're going to, you know, you're going to you're going to have to buy shares in Cognitect, I think. Uh, to get to that <laughs> exactly. <level. laughs> but it has been it has been a fascinating thing for me because I worked at Oracle. You know the 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 Mordor, so to speak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> uh, well, I mean they're they're pretty awesome, and it's a, it's an awesome company. But the, the every time I think about databases, I mean the way the pricing structure is is very very weird because there is. Um, um, especially with Oracle, initially it was uh, based on the processor and then based on the course and based on the... And then later they came up with something called virtual private database. So what that essentially means that you need to have a user in the database, a database user, for every application user. Right. So if you have a 600 people using your, your oh, application, your web ah. application, then you need to have one, you know, one user in the database. And the the strangest part is that then your licensing based on is based on number of users per core or something. It's like, so when if if we forget all the discussion about open sourcing and you know that this stuff, if you think about purely from the commercial angle, it, it is very difficult to come up with a pricing model for database. I mean, can you say data it's, nowadays? It's incredibly hard. Exactly. I mean, you can shovel everything into the database and then you keep paying extra money. Is it based on number of requests that you're making and? Yeah, so it's it's pretty tricky. But, yeah, but basically, the, uh, sorry to interrupt you there, Ray. Basically, you don't want to punish users for using your database, you know, by, by, yeah. by making your database costing more. So if you look at how Amazon has has done this for theirs, you're basically paying for read and write throughput, and you kind of get everything else for free, right? Um, and and they can, they can control that because it's a database as a service. Whereas with the Atomic, you know, they really they have to charge you once and get everything they can get out of that sale in one go, um, mm. and it uh, yeah, it's incredibly difficult. I mean, I I would love to have been a fly on the wall when they kind of threw the ideas around, like how do we how do we <laughs> charge for this thing? Um, it yeah. could not have been an easy discussion. Yeah. Well, I guess there's two answers to that, isn't there? One, one answer is that eventually they run some kind of service, um, and then. They do some kind of, like you say, pay, pay on kind of transaction throughputs. Then the other answer is, I guess you could say, well, again, you should pay for what you use. So here is a like a like like like, the, like Oracle and Coft and do they give you some kind of you know golden license or silver license or whatever, um, and that entitles you to use the product, and then you have to have some audits. You know, they're dreaded database audits. Um, and actually, let's be honest, Datomic should be pretty good at that, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> given what we've just said. Yes. You know? I, I, um, I, think, I think they may have a leg up there, yes. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I would have thought that something like that where you can say, okay, well, for this burst capability, which is, which is a great point, actually, because what you don't want to do is you don't want to go with this um, vertical scaling where you have these big machines because that costs a lot of money on Amazon. You want these small machines which you can just burst out um, and then you want these like these sort of rear view mirror style licensing models where where you can say, oh, you know, if I've you used... You pay for uh, what you've used, yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if I've used 10 machines on average this month with a high of, you know, 100 but a low of two, well, you know, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just pay it out per minute or whatever. And, and and that that shouldn't be too hard to come up with, I think. But, but again, then again, like you say, I'm not in that room, so it's, 
yeah. it's easy for me to <laughs> so, spend so, that money. So think yeah. through the, the, the difficulty of that. So for us, I mean, that if we ha- if that was the Atomics pricing model, that would be a nightmare for us because it would be absolutely impossible to budget for. Yeah, we we just don't know what 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 we're going to need because we you know our business model is 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 a SaaS based business so. You know, we're we're charging for users, but we're charging per annum, and we're charging in bulk rates. You know, we're charging for thousands of users at a time, so it's heavily discounted. So we could get, mm-hmm. you know, we could suddenly have, you know, thirty, forty, fifty percent of our user base all come on at the same time. Um, you know, cause us to spin up, you know, fifty or a hundred servers, and then we're on the mm-hmm. line with Datomic um, for more than we can afford. You know, um, whereas even though it's it's expensive to 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 to, to pre buy processors or processes. Um, and to have to have some in, in, in the bank for, for scaling, it is at least a manageable cost in, in, in that we can budget for it um, and we can, we can plan ahead for it. And, and once we've paid that cost, we, we, we have a band of, of space to work with. Yeah, but I, I still think that what you're doing is inimical to what most people want to do with the cloud. Absolutely. You know, because no, totally having, to have to, having to have this kind of uh, fixed capacity is quite uh difficult i think for many organizations especially bigger organizations that want to scale out to tens of thousands potentially or well let's just be realistic at the early days you know tens to hundreds of nodes but they want this openness to be able to go to towards you know bursting towards several hundred nodes you know i know i know that the company i'm doing a lot of business with wants to do that and it makes it difficult to 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 sell the atomic in that organization. It, it absolutely does. I can totally see that. Yeah. Mm. So, so, you know, I, I think it, it's definitely, uh, you know, if it, you know, if Cognitech had to engage the community on this point and, and, and talk about their, their thoughts on that, I would be, I would be all ears um, because it is a, 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 an area of pain for us at the moment. So, I think before we uh, continue, or at least, uh, I think we spent almost one hour already. So oh my goodness! Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the time keeps uh, floating. And and so uh, one of the things that that uh, I was curious about, or at least comparing when comparing with other databases, for example, uh, most of the databases have drivers or clients in every language possible. I mean, like from JavaScript to C sharp to everything, but Datomic seems to be fairly focused on JVM uh, languages, or at least, they, I mean, as far as I know, there is only Java API, which is first class API, obviously, and then we have Clojure API. So I think it would be much more interesting if we have drivers in different languages, because then then people can actually try it out, because these, these whole um, hipstery JavaScript thing taking off every now and then, you know, they, they might be interested in picking up uh, the database. Uh, so w- w- what do you think about it? So the the... the... One of the key disadvantages to trying to do that is the fact that Datomic's architecture largely leverages the fact that its peer library has a cache. Um, yeah. So yeah. right now, the Datomic, um, um, you know, the, 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 the peer library, the, the Java library, which you can use from any Java-capable language, of course, um, you know, it, it has this cache. So there is one basic escape hatch that you can use, which obviously... Um, you know, it doesn't come with all of the batteries that you get with the, the Clojure or the Java API, is the, the REST API. So, you know, just as you would spin up a transactor, you can also spin up a, um, a process that runs the REST API. And that gives you basically um, peer API level access to your database. 
Um, and so you can, you know, given that it's a REST API, you can essentially talk to yeah. it from any language that can talk JSON. Um, and I think that's just about all of them these days. Yeah, that, that's true. But the REST API, as you said, uh, one of the things when I looked into REST API that uh, you need to run an extra peer for it. Yes, so, there is that disadvantage. Uh, maybe back, exactly, back in the days, I don't remember though, but uh, I think in, in the days then when, when there was the license or the free license allowing you to have only one uh, peer, for example, so that, that that was painful. And also the database console, the application itself, it will also take one peer or uh, I'm, I'm not sure if that is the case anymore. Uh, I, be, I believe the, the it does tooling. consume a peer. I think basically the, you know, the transactor licensing code is pretty hardened and basically anything that's connected is a peer. Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe that could be one one feedback to those uh, to, to Cognitive guys. I mean, it'd be awesome if they can open it up and, you know, there are multiple uh, APIs available. But anyway, um, it has been uh, uh, fantastic to have you on the show. And uh, I think we learned a ridiculous amount of things about Datomic and how to put it into production. That's great. And thanks for having th me. Thanks a lot for sharing your experience. Yeah, yeah. It's been amazing. And uh, of course, we have all the uh, details will be on the Defen uh, uh, audio. And b before we wrap up, I think uh, a, a quick shout out to uh, Nikita. So Nikita is also working with you, right? And he's working on DataScript. And yes, so, so Nikita joined us um, in, I think it was March last year to work on our, one of our primary apps. Um, and he's, yeah. he's been having a whale of a time because he basically got to join us and use all of his libraries, which he built, to build cool apps for yeah. us. Um, and also we, we have a 20% time um, for our engineering team. And so he actually gets to maintain those libraries um, on company time as well. Um, so he's, he's oh, having nice. an absolute blast and he's producing awesome stuff for us. Yeah, yeah, I saw his data script thing, and then I know uh, because I've been following him on Twitter and uh, like everybody else, and and every time he comes to the Closure Cup, he he builds amazing stuff in, in twenty four yeah. hours, and uh, he also did that using data script last time, so it is it's pretty cool to see. Yeah, and yeah, I think maybe one day we'll have him on the show and then uh, talk more about his uh, <laughs> closure experience from the you know cold north. Oh, you sh you totally should. I think he'd he'd have a blast doing that. Yeah, yeah, of course. And, and obviously, you're maintaining this Closure Codex, right? Uh, compiling all the all the details about Closure World, uh, Robert. Yes. So, that, I mean, that was really just a way for me to kind of build something in Closure for fun rather than for work, although the work is fun as well. Um, and, and to find <laughs> a way to kind of put stuff out there in open source that I can share, you know, that, that shows kind of the lessons I've been learning. Um, yeah, and in yeah. fact, I updated the codex recently um, to take advantage of um, DataScript and RUM, which is Nikita's um, React uh, wrapper. Um, and yeah, uh, yeah I'll, I'll share the link to the source code. It's a, it's, it's a nice little toy example of how to actually bring DataScript um, you know, and, uh, in, into use on the front end whilst using data that originated from a Datomic database in the back end. Yeah. Okay, so uh, that's pretty much it for, for today. And that's all, folks. And uh, you can find Robert on practically everywhere <laughs> on the internet. And uh, he's on Twitter and he's on. Uh, he's very active. Uh, I, I remember talking to him a long time ago on, on IRC. And then he's also very active in Clojure in uh, Slack uh, community. So um, so uh, if you have any questions about data making, now you know who to ask. You know? Yeah, I, I welcome it. <laughs> Obviously, man. apart from the cognitive guys, but yeah. And um, so uh, we'll post the notes on uh, Defen Audio uh, and the MP3 should be available on SoundCloud and iTunes. And we've been very happy with the feedback that we're getting so far. So please keep it coming, uh, positive, negative, anything. 
and uh, as you know this is one of the best uh, probably the best uh, vegetarian closure and closure oriented podcast <laughs> in the world right now uh, <laughs> beaming into space so and and uh, we'd like to thank uh, pizzeri uh, for his uh, for giving us permission to use his music as intro and outro so this awesome stuff that you're listening to in the beginning of the show and at the end of the show uh, is is made by him and he's a um, melon hamburger if uh, if i'm saying correctly right uh, <laughs> melon uh, hamburger so okay yeah. there is uh, yeah melon hamburger yeah. so find him on soundcloud and uh, you can find the links in the in the in the show notes so that's it from us and uh, we'll uh, talk again in a couple of weeks uh, with a new topic in in uh, enclosure world Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot, Robert. And uh, it's been a, a great pleasure. Um, hopefully, speak again soon. Thanks. Bye. Bye.